0: Duncan. I'm Lex. Welcome to Didn't I Blow Your Mind This Time, the show where Lex and I take turns trying to blow the other's mind with a movie they haven't seen.
1: Yeah, this go-round, it's Cape Fear, which I've never seen, and and that's not something that I tell many people, but I'm confessing it here and now.
0: And half the listenership just tuned out. They thought this was a place to go for dusty, uh, buried-away little esoteric gems they might discover, and now here we are, like a couple basic bitches, talking about <laughs> the most steak-and-potatoes uh, selection of the uh, Scorsese oeuvre that you could possibly imagine. So, listener, my jaw hit the floor when I found out Lex had not seen CF.
1: I guess everyone and their mothers has seen this movie. Hey, which makes it easy for us to talk about because... Now we can talk about spoilers. We could talk about these big cinematic moments.
0: That's right. No, I'm I'm super excited to talk about this, and I I uh, I don't mean to bust your chops. I try not to be that guy, especially ladies. If we're on a date, I don't want to be that guy saying you haven't seen this. But I'll tell you, for Cape Fear, I was just a little surprised because this movie came out in '91. I was a, a a strapping, I guess late high school, almost college uh, age kid, movie mad. Ooh, boy. Uh, <laughs> I really I'm really letting <laughs> everyone know. <laughs> Love Scorsese, and and uh, I rushed out to see this movie. And I also was a huge De Niro fan. And you, I feel like this is a Venn diagram. I imagine you are also a fan of those two. And I know there's no other uh, a bigger Nick Nolte fan. So I was just surprised. Uh, add to all that, and listeners, I don't know if you picked up on Lex's Southern drawl, but he oh, is a he, he is a gentleman from the South. So I would think this movie would have been squarely up your alley.
1: I'm so glad you brought up 1991 because I'll tell you what I was watching. I went ahead and and looked at what the uh, big Hollywood releases were in 1991. Um, And I think we can squarely break these off into the Lex camp and the Duncan camp. 1991 for me, this is what I was watching. Uh, Point Break, Nothing But Trouble, Pure Luck with uh, Danny Glover and Martin Short, which is hilarious uh toy soldiers double impact with jean-claude van damme hot shots i did see Ernest scared stupid in the theater strictly business with tommy davidson and out for justice with steven seagal now
0: wow and i can tell you i saw not a single one of those in the theater and i'm embarrassed uh that i didn't even uh, i saw point break not too long ago so that is that's wild That's wild. I love Point Break, but I did not see any of those movies in the theater.
1: So here's what I think you watched in 1991. You ready?
0: Oh, I love this. I love this game.
1: Um, Silence of the Lambs.
0: Yes, saw it on my birthday.
1: My Own Private Idaho.
0: Yes, not sure if it was in the theater, but definitely saw it early.
1: Other People's Money with Danny DeVito.
0: Actually never saw that.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, Frankie and Johnny.
0: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> it sounds like there's a story there uh sleeping with the enemy
0: no no
1: oh okay switch the Blake Edwards movie with Jimmy Smiths and Ellen, and Ellen Barkin. Barkin
0: no love the poster I don't know how I missed that one
1: <laughs> that is a great poster um Doc Hollywood
0: yes big fan of Doc Hollywood and remain so today
1: Here's what else was in the theaters that I I can safely say um, I also saw. Uh, Boys in the Hood, What About Bob, with a question mark, Drop Dead Fred, Barton Fink, New Jack City, Delicatessen, and are you (laughs) you ready for this? There's a documentary that came out in 1991 called Trump. What's the deal? about trump (laughs) to that point i was like what in the hell um and also the adaptation of sex drugs and rock and roll by eric bogosian the only reason i bring that up is because in college i performed a one-man show of those monologues and then took it on uh the the regional road and got paid uh, to do my own little version of eric Bagosian's many characters wow. uh, in sex drugs and rock and roll
0: listeners can we do a deep dive on youtube and bring up some of that vid is that does that exist anywhere i bet you honestly media?
1: i think i think there <laughs> There is a video recording which uh, my parents watched uh, after the fact and and would laugh and and think, God, look at Lex and his his many characters. They would do their own personal (laughs) (laughs) screening. Screening um yeah, those are some gritty I
0: characters i remember he was his one-man shows were played a lot on hbo i think drinking in america like he oh was, okay uh those that's grit that's some young grit uh or, or, or some real grit for a young man
1: yeah so that's that's 1991 for you and uh somehow cape fear uh, uh escaped me and i i think it was i mean okay so this is po- post fatal attraction which kind of uh, brought the thriller back in a huge way, and then there were a bunch of uh, copycats, uh, uh, um, unlawful entry, Pacific Heights, that kind of stuff. Um, I think I saw a handful of those. I definitely saw Unlawful Entry in Pacific Heights, but for some reason Cape Fear just didn't it was, you know, it was adult matters, it was family stakes, and I think I was more interested in Hotshot FBI agents who were figuring out life after a football career ended uh, from a <laughs> knee injury.
0: <laughs> well, certainly Cape Fear was the big both blockbustery but also kind of art-housey, yuppie in trouble movie of that time. I just have to bring up the when you said Barton Fink, I flashed to a memory of going to see Barton Fink with my friend Eric Kazinski at the Town Center Mall in Boca. I saw it. I thought, masterpiece. I went home. My parents had separately seen it at a different theater, and we're talking about how terrible it was. And that's when I realized I was living with heathens.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to know about how your Florida roots uh, affected uh, watching this movie at, at the time, because it was shot in Fort Lauderdale. Did you know that?
0: I did. I did. Uh-huh. Did you did you uh, happen I, well, to make, it, but... make a
1: cinephile trek up north <laughs> to uh, ensure that you got a glimpse of uh, De Niro and his tats?
0: I I did not. I remember doing that for Miami Vice. Uh, at the time I did not What? Know. I my wait, mom wait, wait, and I my mom and I when we first moved to Florida did a stakeout of a, of a Miami Vice uh, shoot.
1: Oh, My, uh, my God. mom
0: and my aunt drinking sex on the beaches in South Beach and I caught a glimpse or two of my favorite TV star, Mr. Don Johnson. You couldn't miss him in a fluorescent aqua, you did. You know, uh, blue t-shirt uh, and that uh, those that off-white linen jacket uh, down the street with the cool cars and I thought to myself, "Listen, I moved to Florida from Boston in 7th grade for the listener." I thought uh-huh. to myself, "Listen, this Florida thing—it doesn't seem that cool, but it is where Miami Vice is filmed. And you got that, was, that right. Uh, that was a good bomb.
1: Hey, did I ever tell you the um, my one uh, brush with Don Johnson?
0: I don't know how I don't know the story. Uh,
1: another one for the listener. My last name is uh, spelled H R A be it's difficult to pronounce when uh you look at it on paper it's confusing and so i often you know that's how you you suss out telemarketers back in the day is they wouldn't be able to uh, uh, they wouldn't know how to pronounce it and you could quickly hang up um but i <laughs> i was working uh or probably my first year in LA I was working for a production company uh and there was a script going to Don Johnson from one of the producers and uh I had to get him on the phone and uh so I talked to DJ as he's called because I I know that (laughs) because I left a message for him before and he said uh on his message outgoing message it said this is DJ you know what to do which is amazing in its own right. But um, so I said, uh, Hey, this is Lex Raby calling for such and such producer. And he said, I mean, you got to love the curiosity here of, of, of this guy. He goes, uh, Raby, uh, how do you spell that? And I said, uh, Well, H R A B E. And he said the best thing that I've ever heard about my last name, which is. <laughs> Boy, they were having a sale on consonants that day, huh?
0: Ooh, Ooh. wow. DJ. Wow. Killing it. That is a really fun joke. All I wonder if he's, like wonder if he's used fly. that before. I'm trying to yeah, think maybe. of co-stars of his that he could have used <laughs> that on. Well, huge Don Johnson fan, and uh, we could fill the rest of the episode oh, talking look, about DJ. The time is
1: ticking away. A tick, Counselor, tick, we've got a movie tickin- to
0: talk about. Counselor!
2: Are you, Chancellor? Come out, come out, wherever you are.
0: Now, I just want to oh, set the dear. table. Cape Fear. This is a remake. Uh, originally, a Greg Peck and Bob Mitchum B picture, also starring Marty Bassam and Telly Savalas, based on the Executioners by John D. McDonald. Who I'm a I did big not fan know of. that. I didn't know that either, actually, and I, I just was excited. Re- I, I became a fan of his uh, only in the last couple of years. So uh, the story for this film and how this came about: this was a universal title that was kicking around. People were thinking about remaking it. Spielberg loved the idea of remaking it with uh, Bob De Niro, and that was the that was going to be the movie for a bit. And he was very excited about that. He brought in Wesley Strick, who later he worked uh, oh. on Arachnophobia with. But at that point, he knew Wesley Strick from a very buzzy script called Final Analysis that later got made oh, from a, a Richard Gere picture.
1: Is that that's not a remake either of a noir?
0: No. Uh, I know Wesley Strick says he heavily borrowed from Body Heat, but I don't think it oh. is a, a remake. I, cool, I, I, cool. I I've never a very, seen it. Very buzzy strip, uh, script back in the day. A buzzy a buzzy script for a buzzy. Wesley Strick at the time. So Strick did not want to take the job and his agents couldn't believe that he was turning down Steven Spielberg, but he tried many times to to turn him down. And then in his, in his own words, he got Spielberg and found the- out he was saddled with writing this, uh, this remake. Oh. And it was, it was, and I, I make a point of this because in a lot of, uh, interviews I read, a lot of people assume that it was Scorsese who came in. Scorsese, who came in and, and initially said let's you know let's have uh the nick nolte sam Bowden character let's complicate him by having this malfeasance that he hid something uh he yeah. has something to hide in, in the in the case yeah. where he originally represented uh de niro's max katie character or let's have him also be having an affair this was in was the script not- from wesley strick
1: oh, okay Okay, but, so, but not part of the original. Uh...
0: Not not part of the original. In the original, which is uh, 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 a good movie, it's 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 um, uh, it's described as a B movie even by the, the filmmakers. Oh but, really? Uh, yeah, uh, good movie, uh, totally solid. Gregory Peck couldn't be, as you might imagine, more upstanding. I think this yeah, was right. released the same year as. Uh, kill a mockingbird Mockingbird. so he he is a lawyer but he never represented bob mitchum's villainous max katie character he saw he was a witness to uh to to the crime um and so there's really there's no there's no original sin there so a lot of the movie is is can this can this this straight arrow gregory peck his sam Bowden character can he be pushed enough to bend the law
1: okay Uh, okay which works I mean, which works? But this,
0: which this works. is better. certainly cleaner. You could yeah. imagine it does seem like certainly the idea of the Nick Nolte who plays Sam Bowden, who plays this lawyer who long ago, uh, I should say, represented the De Niro character and 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 buried a little piece of the case that had to do right. with uh, the defendant uh, going out on a lot of dates because that would yeah. look bad for a southern jury right, uh, right so right, there's right. there's a little bit of an, an initial reveal. sin there yep that's a reveal um I, you could imagine that most screenwriters would want to complicate these characters somehow for a 1991 audience but i think the bigger choice of having uh the sam Bowden character be having an affair on his wife that's that brings us into a lot more darker art housey drama territory that's that's a lot bigger so both of those were in the and script it's... It's even though Scorsese not, pushed it further he pushed it further into that I dark mean it's area.
1: not exactly the the affair part isn't totally explicit by the t- eventually Ileana Douglas says to De Niro that sh- they slept together once but it's not it, it's not said outright when you first, first meet Ileana Douglas um It's sort of like this. Nolte says this is inappropriate. What would my wife think? We got to we got to curb this. But um, they don't totally say, yes, this is happening, although it's really implied. And he's (laughs) pretty
0: heavily implied. (laughs) Uh, There was never any doubt in my mind that they were not an item. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, um, oh, boy. Nick Nolte should be married to you in this movie because you will you are gullible and will fold like laundry. Anyway, so I should say I just I just want to say so Scorsese pushed it darker, but those elements were in the script. And I will ask okay. we're talking about Spielberg. Spielberg's idea was to have uh, De Niro be dressed as the maid in that reveal in that. moment. Oh, really? that was that was that was all Spielberg, which I thought was very clever. Oh, um, wow. I thought that
1: that was so De Palma and I figured it was more in the Scorsese camp of let me, this is a nod to actually that makes a lot of sense from a Spielberg perspective because I heard that for the original Hitchcock did the storyboards um, for the original movie when I guess he was considering directing um, that and that's a very Hitchcockian, right? That's that's psycho straight up very hitchcockian
0: and and yeah, yeah so many of these angles are are and uh, camera angles are very hitchcockian um so yeah so it was it was initially a Spielberg project and then Spielberg who had uh owned the on the uh, Schindler's list property book right. uh which was going to be uh Marty's movie can i just call him marty for the podcast go, please, and we'll have fun with that please, why not can please. we please lean into that it was going to be a marty movie and then spielberg decided he he was enough adult enough these are his own words, adult enough, mature enough to tackle Schindler's list. So he uh, did a, there was a, there was a bit of a, a switcheroo, a trade where yeah. he convinced uh, Scorsese, I'll call him Scorsese, it's more respectful if he's listening to do Cape Fear, which he was, which he was very hesitant to do. And, uh, and Spielberg, uh, you know, took over uh, uh, Schindler's list and had his amazing Schindler's list, Jurassic park one, two punch.
1: I think we're we're good with with that swap. I feel like this worked out for everybody.
0: So, uh yeah, as listeners who haven't seen the movie, I doubt there are any of you who haven't uh, Come on. but uh, <laughs> This is this this is the story of Robert De Niro's character Max Cady getting out of jail in the town of I think it's a, a little Essex. Uh, down south north carolina i believe and he is very upset about being in prison for 14 years he's done a lot of reading in jail and he sets out to wreak havoc and give nick nolte and his family a taste of the pain that he experienced and blames nick nolte for as his lawyer who he now knows buried a little tidbit of the case that might have uh, gotten him off
1: so this is um of course, you know, watching this movie now, I've, uh, there's so much cultural runoff from that movie. And I, and I sort of, I knew so many things, so many iconic scenes. Of course, there's that Simpsons episode, which directly, um, uses the Cape Fear story, uh, with Sideshow Bob, which I've seen many times. (laughs) Uh, and, um, so, I knew a lot of these scenes, but I, I didn't have context for them. And nor did I know really how quickly we were going to get into the story. It's pretty amazing. It's that Scorsese pace. Um, But the, uh, the movie theater scene is in the first like five ish minutes, if not like minute five. Uh, I loved that. They used problem child. Uh, on the screen with with John Ritter doing the uh, Jack Torrance uh, impression. Here's Daddy.
3: Goodbye, Junior.
0: Scorsese is a problem child fan. And, is that right? Uh, he specifically wanted that movie. The movie theater scene was another Spielberg uh, contribution. That was his oh, his really? idea. Right off the bat, I should say this movie is you are in for crackling. A- A crackling, tense time, larger than life. I mean, De Niro is sitting in the movie theater in this scene in front of McNulty and his family wearing a a Tony Montana Hawaiian shirt, this uh, bizarrely cartoonishly large cigar, a uh, gas station lighter with uh, female breasts on it. Oh yeah, and and laughing maniacally in a way that you would think anyone in the theater would get up and say something. So it, it, it feels like we're not in reality; we're in nightmare land, right from that's, the get go. That's true,
1: but I I had this weird thing happen where I, I was aware of of what he was doing, and and I agree with you about nightmare land, but also you know, for somebody who's been locked up for 14 years to go in, <laughs> into problem child and be able to smoke a cigar and have absolute freedom. Cause that's what, um, you know, that's, that's what De Niro's obsession is. That's what Max Cady's obsession is here is, is freedom for him to spread out in that way and just dominate this theater feels like something, you, you know, uh, separate from the need for revenge something that this character would do and and makes him there are these moments where you of of sympathy i think you can have for the character um well they're spread throughout especially at the scene where um katie directly says what happened to him in prison, and uh, you know what it's w- what it was like for him to lose 14 years of his life, not know his daughter, supposedly if he has one, um, and uh, also to be raped <laughs> many many times. We assume
0: many many times. That's that's great uh, prison dialogue there. But I just want to back up to the yep. that, since you're watching it for the first time for the that first scene where we see yeah. we see the Nietzsche, we see the Bible, we see all the esoteric general. Uh, sp-
1: uh, Robert E. Lee, <laughs> which all I thought these, was perfect and, and progressive for, for whatever 1991, when, all the, when all he the was books. still a southern hero. Oh yeah, Duncan, these, these still are... a southern hero.
0: <laughs> Go ahead. All sorry. the books on uh, on on Katie's uh, prison shelf, and then the, the camera pulls back, and we reveal Robert De Niro, who has uh, basically zero body fat. Uh, And this movie has zero body fat on it. His hair is, as long as it's ever been in a movie, and greased back. And he's laser focused as he walks out of the prison. He walks into the camera in what could have been kind of a, a cheesy, it almost feels like a cheesy film school shot. But here it works and it lets you know that all the stops are being pulled out.
1: Yeah, with a storm brewing in the background. I mean, that was my first like delightful uh, little mini uh, mind blow action when he walked straight into camera. Although that is the same scene when I hear De Niro's accent for the first time and I thought, oh boy, am I gonna be able to handle a full movie of De Niro's fluctuating Southern accent?
2: You look the same, maybe 15 pounds heavier. Well, they say the average man gains a pound a year until he's about a- oh, come on. <laughs> Gains a pound a year till he's about sixty. Me, I dropped a pound every year in my sentence. Leonard, seventy-seven. You got it, July. Fourteen years since I held a set of case.
0: And let's hear it. I mean, he was nominated for an Oscar, but I also know Southerners who uh, really cringe at this accent. What do you think? I, Where do you I,
1: land? I, I it's not my favorite thing it 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 does that thing where it it bounces all over the place it's inconsistent um and you just have to ride with the fact that you're watching de niro and whatever we're not in reality anyway so you can you can kind of uh accept that and and get over it um
0: you heard it here first bob de niro don't quit your day job (laughs)
1: Okay, I've got some comments about um, De Niro, in the, but I will save it for the end.
0: All right, well, so th- you've got that, that wham-bam opening. This is after the Saul and Elaine Bass credits and the Elmer Bernstein orchestrated uh, Bernard Herman score, which is the original score plus right. elements of his score from uh, Torn Curtain. That was kind of like a lost score that Scorsese had and had Elmer Bernstein repurpose Is this Torn movie. Curtain
1: the the Julie Andrews, Paul uh, uh, Newman, Hitchcock movie? Or is that something else? It is a
0: Hitchcock movie. I don't know which one it is. That sounds right, but I'm not sure.
1: Okay. Um, well, one thing I wanted to point out about this that I was thinking about during that credit sequence uh, was that you know, this really feels like De Niro, I mean, sorry, uh, Scorsese at the, the height of his powers, it's post Goodfellas. And I, I look back over the filmography to, to see that. I mean, there's homage galore happening up to that point, but this is his first remake. Um, and so that feels pretty substantial for Scorsese I I, I felt like for him to really have fun as a filmmaker with a um, you know uh, a chunky as you said you know quasi b movie and really elevate it uh, seemed like I mean this is Scorsese in full delight mode um, from jump
3: it was a remake yeah it was a remake I mean because you, you are stuck with the same story you know But what I wanted to do is to enrich the characters or um, uh, complicate the psychological makeup of the family, so to speak. And uh, you, uh, quite honestly, that's a danger. That's a danger. You don't know whether you're, as I said, sinking the genre itself or you're trying to enrich it.
0: Yes, we should say he's been up. He's been down in his career. Uh, You know, king of comedy kind of put him in, in Hollywood jail for a minute. Obviously, it should not have. It should have put him in Hollywood royalty, but put him in Hollywood jail for a Agreed. minute. Uh, he'd just done Goodfellas, which was a big hit. But I I did also read that uh, he had a little bit, an addiction, an addiction
1: oh, to film preservation, about...
0: oh, which I, I love. You're talking about the so kind of, Well, I guess maybe there was that, too. I think he might have been over that by this point. I'm, I'm not oh, sure. Yeah, I, I, I heard he was spending a lot of money on on film preservation, which I really love. So he was not as exactly flush for cash. Uh, as you might expect from what I've read at this point.
1: Um, one thing I also, since, you know, we backtracked to the credits, uh, I wanted to bring up the fact that from what I read, uh, Scorsese did that Nolte had to fight for the role or sort of convince Scorsese that, that he was the right guy for the role because Scorsese wanted Harrison, where's my family Ford, uh, (laughs) to be Sam,
0: (laughs) Uh, Which I would have also been a, read a that perfect bit. and I can understand that. I am a huge Nick Nolte fan. Nick Nolte is not who you immediately think of when you think of some, you know, uh, whipped uh, uh, down on his luck, uh, Weasley suburban Southern dad. In fact, you would, you might go to, he's great in this movie. You might go to Nolte. I, I would put him in the Max Katie role first before, not before De Niro, but but before in this other one. In fact, I'd love to see a True West version uh, reboot uh, of oh uh, of this oh movie boy. with Nolte as the as the Southern Cracker <laughs> out for revenge. And in this movie, so Nolte as 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 De Niro was uh, 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 getting uh, mean and bulking up and and losing all the body fat. And ah. bulking up, uh, uh it was uh, Nolte was also slimming uh, down, uh, slimming down his his bulk because he's about six feet and De Niro's five ten
1: that that's funny that you say that cuz i i i i thought man does he look different he he looks yeah. a, a little gaunt. gaunt yeah um uh, that was a revelation for me is uh, you know when i thought of pre- previous to seeing it uh when i thought of cape fear uh de niro looms large in in my brain and kind of dominates what i Perceived to be this movie, but instead, what I saw on screen was was Nolte, Lang, and Lewis um, giving incredible performances to basically make this terror work so well. And I re- <laughs> I realized that probably one of the sort of mind blowing uh, reasons why you locked this movie in for me to watch was the Nolte arc. And I didn't know that that's what was happening as it began. I thought he was playing against type and he was just going to be this, this uh, do it well, but be this straight laced, um, dad uh but as he begins to blow a hill and Drake you get full <laughs> nolte and you realize oh he is gonna be perfect for this guy who has to arc into savagery and and shed the law and shed his his duties and um it's incredible to watch it's incredible to watch
0: yeah it's a it's a great performances All around
1: the, the actor explosions and implosions that pick up steam across the movie. uh, continued to just like rock me when Jessica Lange um, finds out about Ileana Douglas uh, and, and takes a swing at Nick, Nick Nolte. She has that moment where she's like basically attacking him. I I, I was like, she is just incredible in this movie. Also she has a cigarette in every scene.
0: Yes. This is not a happy family. And it, I, I revisited the original Cape Fear and it really, you know, basically the Gregory Peck family is a, a sitcom, not a sitcom, but a, a classic American apple pie eating you uh, know, okay. p- pic, pic, picture of, of of perfect family. Right, right. Uh, this family is falling apart at the <laughs> seams, which makes it which seems like it might be less of a challenge de niro to tear them apart but actually makes it so much more interesting for him yeah. to be able to come in uh find their pressure points and exploit right. them that's and what i, really, I mean
1: yeah. that was totally surprising is that how methodical max katie's um uh, strategy was to tear this this family apart and how he pokes and prods
0: yeah so he comes max katie comes in like a bat out of hell Infiltrates the family, starts harassing them. Nick Nolte is very upset, and then we get the uh, family dog goes missing, uh, oh. or the family dog is goes missing and then is poisoned. And Jessica Lang has an amazing uh, a bit of dialogue there where she describes the death of the dog, which was so much more effective than seeing yeah, it.
1: And absolutely. it really
0: it it really hit home watching the movie this time. How everyone in the family, the family is so dysfunctional. It's like everyone has their surrogate to be able to deal with the family. And Jessica, Jessica Lang oh, has, has the dog and Juliette Lewis. They, they make real meal about how close she is to the maid Graciela. Uh, the very opening of the movie it's you know she's very close to graciella and then nick nolte uh has the Ileana douglas character who is his law clerk who he is clearly having an affair with even though it's very hard for lex to accept something so scandalous but he's married
1: i've never i have never how could such a man an upright
0: citizen. So the terror is uh, like you said this movie uh, just is 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 a bullet that just starts right away you were on tracks you were getting terrorized by I this masked character and there's no release. The there's really no like... release
1: packed like it's monologue to monologue sometimes but the scenes themselves are like 30 seconds as you whip crack from one to the other i mean the scene before the the jessica lang monologue about the dog (laughs) is like two seconds of nolte just like steering the wheel as he's driving home he just got the call and his face is everything you want from nolte at that this point also (laughs) i have to uh, give credit to Nolte for, um, the best teeth brushing moment I've ever seen on screen. He, he brushes his teeth. Like he's doing eight lines of, of cocaine. It's insane.
0: <laughs> Mm-hmm. and that's why they had to use a split mm-hmm. diopter for that they did not want, oh, to, yeah, miss right. want to miss a moment of that teeth brushing a, a frothy which, is, bliss. which is just another thing i love about this movie is in terms of like the cinematography just everything is thrown at this movie there's green screens there's split diopters yeah, right. there's there's you know uh, uh, flashes to the film negative um it's just it's just throws everything uh at the screen it is a real smorgasbord of uh of influences
1: uh i also have we 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 passed this part but i have to rewind for a second to talk about um de niro's line where he he uh first confronts uh sam uh about why uh, what it was like to be in jail and he says Mm -hmm. you ever been a woman counselor Nolte has to do the double take and then the explanation of what that means.
2: Some fat, hairy, ugly Hillbilly's wet dream. Look, I realize that you suffered in prison. There's no question. Suffering. You don't know what suffering is, Counselor. Like it says in Galatians three, have you suffered so many things in vain? Yeah. I learned from the get-go and the joint to get in touch with the soft-nurturing side of myself, the feminine side. Well, I'm open to some sort of discussion on compensation. Mm-hmm. Well, what shall be my compensation, sir, for being held down, sodomized by four white guys or
1: four black guys? What a, what a piece of dialogue. You ever been a woman counselor?
0: I, I have it right here in my notes, circled and starred. I've seen the movie multiple times, but I still had to go back. I was like, "What did he exactly?" Because he he almost mumbles it.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Never
0: been a woman, and then he explains about his his uh uh you know trauma and sodomy, uh yep. in prison. That dialogue is really effective. Then he gets into the Bible quotes, and I heard Wesley Strick on a podcast talking about the the, the writer oh. talking about how you know he put in a lot of Bible quotes. And, and, and really wanted to lean into the biblical aspect of this character, De Niro could not get enough Bible quotes. He was calling him up at all hours of the night, give me some more Bible stuff, you know, just to have it in his back pocket. To me, some of the more, uh, some of the be- the better dialogue is that is that more, uh, call it mundane, but more everyday prison stuff about his 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 uh, attacks at the hand of the other prisoners, wh- wh- yeah. because it, it really, you really feel his pain and it also grounds him. Uh, and, yeah. and sometimes I feel like a little a little bit of the Bible stuff, as, as much as I enjoy it, it, goes a little little too far. We almost veer into camp a couple times, a couple oh, times. V-
1: uh, veer into camp? Come on. This is camp on blast. And I don't mind. I do not mind. But wait, before you answer that, did Strick uh, in that podcast also talk about Wolf, which he also wrote? You
3: want to loan us some money? All of you. Yeah, Yeah, we all need some money.
2: I've got about a thousand dollars in my wallet. Uh, How much would you like to borrow? Five dollars? Ten? Cut the bullshit and give me the wallet. Did
0: you know that? He did he did not talk about wolf. I didn't know that I, I just read the Mike Nichols, uh, book. So I, I do feel like I've got some, I might have some wolf fun facts up my sleeve, uh, later. Oh my God. Uh, no, he didn't, he did not mention that one. <laughs> he did, he did say, and this speaks to you, um, uh, talking about the, the kind of, uh, blowout fight between, uh, the Bowdens, uh, Sam and, oh, yeah. uh, uh uh, I'm, I'm forgetting Jessica Lang's uh, character. Lee, Lee, Sam, and Lee. Lee. Uh, they have this blowout fight, and Scorsese. I love this. Uh, Scorsese. I love this quote. Says uh, he wanted to make these wasps fight like Italians and strick says uh scorsese was pushing him to really make the fight even larger and he'd be like i'm paraphrasing be like but the, the fight's already three pages i want i wanted to fight i don't want to fight like wasps i want to fight like italians that'd be like eight pages and strick was like well if they were jews it'd be like two pages and they so they ended up like splitting oh the difference God. but that really I, I just love that and i thought about that the whole movie and there are certain great. moments where i feel like uh almost it almost doesn't feel like this couple but if right. it, it was if it was in a more of a gangstery uh marty movie i could buy it right, uh, right, I, right, right. I, but i but i love that right. I, I love some brocco brocco
1: fighting. leota uh, uh, essence going on <laughs> um that's hilarious i mean but it makes sense like scorsese is looking for tension to to eke out tension in every possible way there's that great line that um lang has uh with juliet lewis who is basically a time bomb in in this story and and used so well but she's like uh go go do uh anything you want and then she says but don't go outside just that (laughs) tension against you know a, uh, a a teenager who is wide open to the world and is is just about to fully reject her parents is is fantastic she's such a great instrument for the story
0: this is a performance that was even better than i remembered it This julia lewis as Danny oh my god performance and I remembered it as uh, absolutely iconic. Even I remember s- seeing her in the theater. This is the performance that launched a a million crushes. Um, yeah. She was 17 at, at the time playing a, a younger character. I think they looked at 500 uh, different actresses for this role. Uh, she's so vulnerable. She's so real. Uh, she's, she's, it, it doesn't, it's one of those performances that, that feels like she's acting, but also feels like it's exactly who she is. It's, it's, it's just amazing. So let's just get into that big scene. I think we're pretty much there and talking about the movie. De Niro is terrorizing the family, the dogs dead uh, he's talking with his uh, his his fellow lawyer hangdog jowly faced uh, future Fred. senator F- Fred Thompson. Oh, I and, was so uh, excited he's...
1: to see him. And also let's not forget Joe Don Baker, but we'll get
0: Well, there. I was I was getting into that just noting Fred Thompson's jowls because I was like, who do you go to when Fred Thompson's not helping out? You go to the the, the next biggest set of like hang hangdog eyes and, and jowly chops, Joe Don Baker, who's <laughs> amazing in this movie <laughs> it really is but i should say yeah juliette lewis has a scene with de niro uh the equivalent what? of this do you want to set this up
1: uh n- no i was just i, I was i was shocked I, I cannot believe that you would skip so far ahead and over the iliana douglas uh I've, you seen. know what?
0: I apologize. I apologize. I put I put those out of order. Uh, you know, this is a loose podcast, people. That Ileana Douglas sequence, that is my second favorite sequence in the movie. I could not find uh, online whether uh, uh, Marty and Ileana were an item at the time of filming or if uh. that happened after. They were an item, as it's known for, for, for many, many, uh, for quite a bit. So there is a sequence where Ileana Douglas, who plays uh, the Nick Nolte character's uh, uh, mistress, Laurie, is is, <laughs> is met up with by De Niro in a bar. De Niro in charm mode. Oh and God. they are having drink after drink after drink, followed by a scene in a hotel room that is as horrific as as any mainstream studio release scene i can think of i imagine steven spielberg must have maybe i don't know plots his pants a little bit at the scene it's it is, it is <laughs> i can't so shocking. imagine him shooting it's it, so honestly. shocking
1: yeah 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 i i didn't the the cheek i i di- i i remember that this scene existed culturally um as soon as i saw her name in the credits i was like oh yeah there's this this brutal scene and i think i know what's going on <laughs> but man the cheek i did not i did not see coming which was a
0: whammy it, it is shocking and in, in some ways something i almost wish i never saw uh but i would say the bar scene before it where she Bad. is getting drunker and drunker and de niro is uh luring her in and even at one at one point. He said, she says, uh, you know, asks about, uh, you know, who is he? And he mentions being in prison and you kind of yep. lean in and you're like, oh, my God, is he going to like, uh, you know, give her a little insight into what he's up to here? And then he makes up this very clever little story, this great little piece of dialogue about how he was in prison for three years for uh, what is it? Defending an, an old lady picketer uh, outside a nuclear power plant. And he hit oh, yeah, a cop. Yeah, yeah. And it's it just goes to show how smart this Max Katie character yeah. is in the way he's able to frame frame tell a, tell a a, a a white lie uh, yeah. that isn't a total fib because he was in prison, but but right. target her and give her just the kind of like prison offense that she would find innocuous and maybe even a little heroic.
1: Yeah, his his navigation of 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 sort of animal desire uh that's built into every human and how to to work that is is fantastic to watch this character is so well built the other thing that the character does uh every time he's you know in in i mean he's in predator mode through the whole movie but when he's really up close with with prey he always does this thing thing of doing an underhanded warning that i'm a nightmare and if you tangle with me some more you're going to get destroyed i'm going to turn you into an animal but he does it in this softball way that people don't they hear what they want to hear and they don't except for nolte that they don't listen to the outright warning that he has said but it just for him, it justifies what he does. He's ba- he can basically say like I I I told you I was a bad guy, and yeah. and here then I did this. Um, yeah, he he wants
0: that initial. He wants you to <clears throat> kind of hang. It's a vampire thing. Post yourself you, on your own petard. Yeah, yes, you're very you're vampire.
1: you're letting you're opening the door and and letting him in, and and he thrives on that. I also wanted to say about that scene, uh, her her performance is uh so convincing. I, I I believe everything about this character getting into this situation and uh thanks to her her performance. It it the way the two of them do this dance towards uh the cliff is is genuine
0: uh yes i mean i love that kind of that that tension waiting for the other shoe when is it going to drop but at the same time she's so funny in the scene as she's yeah. laughing and 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 kind of falling off the bar stool and then the, the the horror of it all when later you realize it was all so choreographed by max katie the way they're right. sitting in this well-lit bar very public getting drunk being loud so other people really notice uh, It's it's just a, a really uh tour de force supporting character role and a really terrifying sequence and kind of one of the, one of the highlights of the movie.
1: katie is is legitimately set up as a monster where, you know, he he's there one moment and then disappears when a truck passes in that great way, but across the movie, especially between um uh Sam and Lee, uh they talk about because they're so conflicted as a couple, they talk about the only way to defeat uh, this monster is for them to work as a team, and yet time and time again, they cannot make that happen. I just thought that that that's such a great dynamic between these two characters. All right, yeah, you want to get is, to the uh, this is
0: this is not a family that uh, uh, plays and prays well together. So th- yeah, this Juliet Lewis scene, she plays Danny, the daughter, and I love. I love this character so much. There's a scene uh, at the parade where the family is there watching the parade and they see the baton twirlers go by. And I can't remember if it's Lang or Nolte says something like, oh, Danny, that's something, uh, you know, uh, you could do. How come you didn't try out for that? And she's just like, I don't know. You know, <laughs> she she doesn't have a lot going on. And I but love it's so that. convincing. It's so convincing. It's so real. She's I love that they don't, you know, she's not the the star of like Chem class or something. She's right. just just this kind of normal average teen average. going through it. Guns and super roses, awkward Jane's addiction patience. on the TV. So there is a scene where she gets a phone call uh from De Niro's Max <laughs> Kitty character posing as her new uh I believe it's her th- a theater teacher. Yeah. Uh and uh and we it's later revealed in a great uh 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 camera uh move that he is upside down hanging by gravity boots uh doing his exercises like
1: that was such a joy to watch because it's this pan across the room as things get like sketchier and sketchier and you're already uh braced for for whatever his living space is going to be like and then you <laughs> The last thing you expect is for him to be hanging upside down like a bat, uh, talking to this girl. And then it just goes on forever. So Scorsese lets you enjoy the vision of De Niro, like in full form, in full charm mode, um, but hanging upside down. It is amazing. It's amazing.
0: And we then follow young Danny. Into the bowels of the high school's basement, which I'm sure Lexus so must good. have really resonated for you as a theater brat.
1: Oh, I could just uh, imagine myself up on a lighting rig, just tightening a, <laughs> a gel.
0: And there is De Niro uh, on stage, on the this, on this set, with his eyes-odd sweater shawl and his kind of golf shirt his hair looks feathered he looks as handsome as we've ever seen de niro and totally. he's sitting cross-legged smoking a joint and he proceeds to blow young <laughs> juliet lewis's mind <laughs> uh <laughs> with with a with a just a a buffet of kind of Anti-authoritism.
1: Oh my God.
0: Catchphrases and cattle calls and dog whistles, everything from Thomas Wolfe to the Henry Miller trilogies. And he's he's always moving the target.
1: Always moving the target on her. She just cannot catch up, but is ultimately charmed. It's so good.
0: And, and he is ultimately charming. And if I was, uh, I, I mean, actually I probably was around that age when I saw the movie, I was charmed by De Niro. I would have, I, we wouldn't have been, you know, hooking up, but I would have been under his wing as, his, uh, <laughs> as a, as a theater protege. Now there's been a lot made that this is a improv scene. This was not an improv scene. This was scripted. The the big bad oh, really? line of De Niro's, uh, was improv by him. The, Moment when De Niro, and it happens twice, uh, puts his thumb in mm-hmm. Juliet Lewis's mouth. Uh, uh, Scorsese had told her uh, that uh, Bob was going to try something, but mm. he did not specify what that was. Uh, so they went with that. And this is a disturbing,
1: yep. titillating, yep. frightening, yep.
0: Uh, all these things.
1: It's, See, it's it, everything. It, it, it is
3: my favorite scene in the movie. That particular scene, that was the scene that made me decide to make the movie if we could do something special with the scene in which he terrorizes the young girl in the old film he basically scares her and it's your traditional walking down a dark hall but for now i said what he has to do is he's got to he's got to seduce her and convince her and it has to be done through dialogue and we started working on that scene the very first draft of the rewrites and there may have been 20 rewrites on that
2: um, why do you hate my father? I don't hate him at all. Oh, no. I pray for him. I'm here to help him. I mean, we all make mistakes, Danielle. You and I have, but at least we try to admit it. Don't we? Yeah. Hmm. But your daddy, he don't. Every man carries a circle of hell around his head like a halo. Your daddy too, every man. Every man has to go through hell to reach his paradise. You know what paradise is? No. Salvation. Because your dad is not happy. Your mommy's not happy. And you know what? You're not happy. Are you?
3: No, I'm not.
2: You thought about me last night, didn't you? Um. Yes, I did. I know. You know, I. I think I might have found a companion. A companion for that long walk to the light. Do you mind if I put my arm around you?
1: It's 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 a a worst fear, come true. Whether you're a parent or not, you know, just this sort of the the lawlessness and and uh savagery that you know is in katie um and he's in a school setting in against the backdrop of a a gingerbread house and it's just upsetting in every possible way and it's what this you know he's been a heat-seeking missile towards this teenage daughter for the whole movie and it's finally happening here and every little that not much actually has to be done, but every little move is, is terrifying. Um, and it leads to this kiss that is, uh, gruesome and, but you can totally place yourself in thanks to Juliet Lewis's performance. Um, you can understand uh, how he, Uh, he could put her under a spell, which is Scorsese sets it up so well with this um, black forest setting on stage and the gingerbread house. And it brings to mind all these Grimm's fairy tales where, you know, he is the big bad wolf. He's uh, the witch in the forest. And then she pays it off so well when he walks away, she has this like jolting, body spasm of like joy fear delight um uh shame it all happens at once and it's it's almost like the witch's spell is coming off her as he walks away and you're like oh my god like the power of this guy is terrifying it's just so well done
0: it's it's shocking, especially coming on the, the heels of the Ileana Douglas scene. You don't know if he's going to, you know, right. b- b- take her tongue off or what. As many times right. as I've seen this right, movie, right, 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 right. when he kissed her, I sat up on my couch. I had completely forgotten that. I was shocked by it all over I, again. I was too. Because the thumb moment is so uh, all-encompassing that that's all I remembered. But it is a terrifying scene. And I thought about, I was like, this performance is so good. I don't know what to call this. I don't, I don't want to be uh, a, a juvenile performance, an under eighteen performance. Yeah. Not, I wouldn't call it a child performance. So, so whatever you call it, a younger person's performance. I was yeah. like, what, what, what else? What else is even in this ballpark? And all I could think of was the uh, Juliet Lewis, uh, excuse me, the Jodie Foster uh, De Niro taxi driver scene in the. Oh day. yeah, huh, uh, and then I also thought a little bit about the kind of the seduction grooming. Uh, dance between Harvey Keitel and Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver 2. I think there are shades of that there.
1: Right. Well, that puts a bullet in the chamber uh, for Nolte. And we then have this scene where Nolte uh, discovers that Katie got to Juliette Lewis. And there's this bedroom scene where he does what a father would do in that situation. And, but he goes over the line, um, and she reacts even more towards, um, what Katie has, has, has strategized. And, and that's an impactful scene and that loads the chamber for then, um, Nolte to okay, uh, the, the, the beating of Max Katie, uh, the, the, that, um, Joe Don Baker had, had suggested before. And of course, as a lawyer, he's like, my business is the law. So I can't, I can't have vigilantism, um, be my tactic. But finally, when, when after, you know, Katie pulls the strings for, uh, Nolte to understand that his, his daughter has, has come into the, the, the web of, of, of Katie he goes okay. Let's let's do this, and so that scene is then loaded. It's all just perfectly. It all, you know, dominoes are falling, and it and it's just working so well.
0: And De Niro gets to give his "I am like God and God like me" speech. <laughs> now, you mentioned Nick Nolte's reluctance at hiring these thugs and his toe the line attitude about the law, and this is a little bit where the math for this remake doesn't quite add up as in the gregory peck version gregory peck is the ultimate straight arrow so when he's bending the law you're really uh feeling the the you know the the painful effects of that for nolte's character he's already broken the law true in what feels like a a, a very moral way like i hate when yeah. Uh, uh, the 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 Fred Thompson character like clucks yeah, his yeah, tongue yeah, yeah, yeah. over the fact that Nolte, you know, hid hid this these papers. I, I feel like it would have been framed a little bit of a, a different way in in real life. Like, hey, it's uh, this guy's a real scumbag. Uh, you you messed up, but I I understand where you're coming from. But then Nick Nolte later, when his family's life is at stake, there's this kind of like pearl clutching about breaking the law or getting a gun that I don't really I buy. I think
1: it works because it, it as you said you know it's this original sin that you know created this situation in the first place so the the I, I think he's resistant and probably for the past 14 years doesn't want to do something like that again and so he knowing that it's it's created this situation who knows what breaking the law could do again it's this this temptation that um that uh you know breaking the law uh, uh provides for him and he finally folds so i it works for me and then there's also you know this undercurrent of with iliana douglas um uh there's an understanding between the 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 lawyers and Ileana Douglas about why she won't uh go on the stand. She plays out exactly what would happen um and how the uh prosecution would would break break down her story. Um and Nolte seems to share that too, this understanding that the law works a kind of way and that it is in itself a game. And that's what um Katie is also. You know he's he's this um, he's this hammer of truth and and that's actually his strength in all all this is that the the sham of of laws and uh, you know the the structures that that society puts forth he's he's the hammer of truth that can easily break it apart because he simply you know. S- Plays things for for what they are for the the real human instinct. He sh- he shatters it all. So I don't know. I, I kind of I I bought it.
0: All right, all right. You're selling me, counselor. You're selling me. I've got to say a a lot of those sentiments uh, that Ileana Douglas expresses about how she knows how the law works and she would be uh, so so humiliated and destroyed on the stand in the courtroom if she testified against De Niro. Uh, in the original, the Gregory Peck and his wife have that conversation in terms of a worst case scenario. If Max Katie got to their daughter, oh, my God, oh. they wouldn't even be able to press charges right, because right, right, it would right. be so awful for her. I do have to say in the Ileana Douglas case, she she is so uh, violently uh, disfigured. Yeah. That it almost feels like she might be. Maybe I'm being naive. Safe to go through those legal channels, right?
3: Am right, I, right, am right, I right.
0: making? Sense? So there were there was a little moment of hesitation there, and and just sometimes in this movie, I, I wonder. You know, there are like we said, it's larger than life. Right. It's a nightmare. Right. It's not reality. Right. There are moments that it feels kind of uh, handcuffed to the original premise that is now a little dated. Right. Uh, in ways that you just either have to go to or chalk up to the surreal kind of nature of it. And, and, and certainly there's an anachronistic feel to the movie a little bit and everything from the, you know, the old Mustang Katie drives yeah. to the original score uh, that's that's being used that 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 really leans into the melodrama and the gothicness of the whole thing. And I've got to say, just about about the score, I love how this 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 oh this insanely dramatic score. Not only is it super dramatic for the Katie stuff, but it's also, I mean, it's it's almost even more dramatic for just the family dynamic. You've got right. this big swelling or, or, orchestra, uh, uh, malevolent score with just when Jessica Lang and, and Nick Nolte are
1: talking. Right, 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 right. right. Um, yeah. And speaking of, of chewy genre stuff, I, I, I kind of couldn't believe, I mean, I understand it had to happen, but the booby trap see, sequence with Joe Don Baker felt so mainstream Hollywood, uh, for Sc- Scorsese, it was, ki- it, it was kind of, uh, it was wild to, to take in. It just seemed so not his bag and yet it had to happen for the story.
0: Right. And I would say, again, there's no point in picking up, picking apart the unrealistic moments of this movie. But I do want to note, it just seems kind of fun, because this, this little <laughs> unrealistic moment never really registered with me in other viewings. And I think maybe it speaks to what a violent... Uh, uh, security crazed gun wild <laughs> country we now live in is that watching it a few nights ago i was like in what world i don't care if you're you would even if you're dustin hoffman and straw dogs yeah. This in what world is this nick nolte character living in where he's being <laughs> stalked by a sociopath who who nobody you know, can help you do his
1: nobody kills can hunt- his mistress, help you <laughs> when a man targets a man
0: stalks his daughter <laughs> It's all yeah, over,
1: guy, son. You got nothing. Nick Nolte. <laughs> you got absolutely nothing. We're going to have to beat this boy. What are you talking about,
0: Duncan? Get yourself a gun. I'll get you a gun, but you know this, what that means. This this must be a Southern thing. Oh, yeah, you know what that means. He's going to steal the gun away from you. And shoot you in the head. Unless I, unless I on, give you son. some lessons to go out and shoot a tree. No, th- it, it, is, it is just so wild watching the movie now where I'm like, Nick Nolte's got money. He would be calling up, you know, Blackwater to, to surround his house in or, or some version of it very easily. And but instead, instead you got good old this, John
1: Joe he, Don Baker sitting in the middle of Joe, the room. He's awake for with, I with think
0: some Pepto-Bismol, some whiskey <laughs> and uh, some fishing line and a teddy bear and you're like this this is what being a a, a high-priced lawyer buys you for security? Oh my god,
1: there's nobody I want to see uh after 48 hours awake than uh Joe Don Baker with those <laughs> those jowls and those sleep eyes just looking at that I, teddy bear. I,
0: I love the scene where Joe Don Baker confronts De Niro outside the diner and, uh, yeah, you know, too. tries to belittle him. And De Niro goes right for the, the core Juggala. with him being a hack ex-cop. It just Which feels sticks. like Joe Don Baker's stepped out of like some other B movie. <laughs> and I almost just want to watch it be a cat and mouse between the two.
1: <laughs> um, well, that brings us to... Uh... But on, I just I oh. want to
0: make one more point. Even even this is this is how this is how penny pinching that Nolte's character is. Even when he's being stalked, at one point Joe Don Baker's like, "Ooh, all this surveillance is going to get uh, pretty expensive." Ah, expensive. Well, you know what? Why don't you just do nights and uh, let him roam around during the day? So you know, I know it's part of the plot. De Niro needs his days free to go to the school. But it's like, well, you're bargaining now with already this bargain basement, uh, you know, flat foot. You've got tailing De Niro. I
1: know. And seriously, when those thugs showed up in the parking lot with uh, like a a pipe and a chainsaw, a chainsaw blade, I was like, guys, come on. Can't do better than this. And Joe Don's like, I don't know what happened. God, those guys screwed up. again. God damn it. Those guys screwed up again. Did they screw up? But it brings us uh, to this. uh, Oh, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say, by this point of the movie, we've also been visited by three ghosts of Cape Fear past.
1: Oh, that's true. Uh,
0: Usually I don't love this type of stunt casting, but in this it works so well. You've got Robert Mitchum rolling in uh, for his cameo in the movie. You've got Martin Bassam as as the judge. And then you've got uh, really probably the most clever of all the three cameos is Gregory Peck playing against his usual uh, his, his, his classic iconic smarmy uh, 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 straightforward uh, a very smarmy twist Atticus Finch this is not <laughs> as he becomes this lawyer for hire defending De Niro after De Niro is beaten up by these thugs
1: oh he might have been a, a, a worse offender than De Niro on the uh, southern accent he called her an x-ray I'm gonna get this boy an x-ray <laughs>
0: He's only had 50 years since the original Cape Fear to kind of dig into these accents. Cut cut, Gregory Peck a break. Unfortunately, Telly Savalas was not with us because I would have loved to seen uh, Kojak do a little walk-on. So I
1: heard that um, he was in the running for Max Cady uh, in, in the original version, uh, Lost Out. Telly? Obviously. Yep. Yep. Who, I, you know, if you've seen him, I've, I can't, it's not coming to mind at the moment, but I've definitely <laughs> seen him play a psychopath or two, and he's pretty phenomenal.
0: Psychopath. Yes. But does he have the sleepy eyed smoldering sexuality of, uh, of Robert Mitchum? No, sir. No, sir.
1: So we've got, this the scene that you mentioned before which is the the total shocker that um max katie despite all of joe don baker's fishing line has gotten into the house uh and is dressed as the maid
0: he's he's beaten this teddy bear rube goldberg contraption <laughs> that's been uh, wired around the house somehow, somehow somehow this guy's this guy's a genius <laughs>
1: um that worked really well for me um i mean I, I i as it was happening i knew that that's what was happening but still to see de niro turn and be in this maid outfit and it being convincing and horrifying and then the topper you knew
0: you knew you knew because you've heard no 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 i right? actually
1: didn't know oh you i didn't know but I, oh you didn't okay I, I i could i i knew that it was i could see that it that's what this was that's what was about to happen.
0: That De Niro was going to be dressed as the maid. Okay. No, no,
1: no. When Joe Don Baker's in the kitchen and he's talking to the maid and we don't see the maid's face and I know that Max Cady is in the house, I'm like, he's the maid.
0: Okay. You do see her face in profile a little bit and I wondered if that was her, the actress. Or, I think it's the and actress. And then they swapped out De Niro. Okay. I think but that's the way But the way, way do
1: it. it's then framed... Uh, you know, right as he's behind, um, Joe Don Baker, I was, I, I knew what was coming, but that didn't make, it's just that I knew a couple seconds before the actual thing happened, but it didn't lessen the impact of this ins- <laughs> insane thing that was happening. Um, and then w- for me, what the more insane thing is, is what hap, what follows when all the family is in the kitchen and Nolte like slips in the blood and then Lang slips in the blood and they're just covered in all of this blood on the body. It, that to me was the best part, you know, uh, as an audience member uh, of this scene.
0: It It is so dark and uh, it's also very painful because this is, and then there's the, the death of Graciela, the housekeeper who was really- You really you know, felt the close, for you? The closest didn't you? person. You, well, you really no, did I mean because you. I feel like they just really- <laughs> I'm I'm I I I only see from my perspective. I I feel like they really she's one of the first characters you see that is true. in the film and they really lay in this idea that Juliet Lewis loves Graciela and it just it just feels like and yeah, they, yeah. you know they Juliet Lewis is very very upset about that and even later brings up you know who are they going to call about Graciela. Um uh but uh, yes, but when I when Nolte and uh, Lang are slipping around in, in the blood in this oh horrific God. scene, I I thought of the Scorsese quote about wasps uh, acting like a, a t- his his his, <laughs> his view of Italians, <laughs> right, 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 right. and I thought this this almost because I almost don't buy it i mean nolte goes so wild he's grabbing the evidence but that's the what we that's what
1: i've been waiting for
0: gu- <laughs> firing the gun into the night but it feels so much like something that 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 you would imagine you know a character doing in in goodfellas rather than these true these...
1: true but it is now, this nolte tool is... that visually bonds them right like at from this point yeah. as we go into the finale they're seemingly they're all on the same page as as a unit um to take on because finally Katie has crossed the line um, in all aspects for every family member.
0: So from there, we go into the Bowden family on the run. They're going to head out to their little boathouse on Cape Fear. Might have been a good idea to go there a couple of weeks ago, but now seems like uh, the perfect time. They're pretty much outlaws uh, at this point because Nolte has taken the the, the gun. That was part of the murder scene as protection, and, and all bets are off. Force um, mature. He says.
1: i love this transition into the finale it's it's other i mean it's already as you said it's nightmarish and so it's not based in in reality the 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 movie up to this point but we really transition into an otherworldly space as they go to cape fear and the sky is pinks and purples and we're in the everglades and i just i thought that that was Phenomenal to take us out of this town and into this dreamscape, deep into this dreamscape.
0: And in a much parodied moment, but a moment I right. really love, uh, it is revealed that De Niro all greased up is under the car in this, using this little contraption that he hooked to his belt, tailing them. And and Scorsese has uh, has even said they they were being a little tongue in cheek in that moment, the way you, uh, you know, it's almost a metaphor for not being able to run from your sins. They had to jack up the, jack up the car a bit for him to be able to clear the road. Uh, did not use a stunt double for that. And it's a great little moment as he uh, takes the, you know, the, he's, he's all greasy and he uses the grease to kind of whip yeah. his hair back.
1: I love it. I love it. He's this elemental creature at, at, at this point. And I, I, I would think that if I didn't know about it, which I did, unfortunately, um, it would have had some serious impact on me uh it, in a fun way i would have really enjoyed it not that i didn't but um you know it just would have had that extra wallop i think
0: well when eric gazinski and i saw it at the town Center that's Mall what i'm talking in, Boca about. in, that's in 1991 what I'm talking about. there was a, a mix of uh, <gasps> guffaws and gas that's... if i remember correctly
1: but i would think guffaws of oh, delight that the movie has gone there yes. right
0: guffaws of guffaws of delight guffaws of delight i can i can hear it like it was yesterday
1: (laughs) well then they do this other thing once uh if if we can jump to the part where uh katie gets on the boat um and and is back in action and really up close and personal and threatening the family there's this thing that he talks about that i kind of loved that was totally ridiculous but he talks about his grandfather being a snake charmer and his grandmother uh, uh, having some sort of like juju power, and 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 that's the reason why he can't be hurt by the the boiling water that that Juliette Lewis throws at him. That he's this he's become this super powered. Man, and as he said, it is.
2: I spent 14 years in an finite setting surrounded by people who were less than human. My mission in that time was to become more than human. You see? Granddaddy used to handle snakes in church. Granddaddy drank strychnine. I guess you could say I had a leg up, but genetically speaking.
0: This whole uh, this whole houseboat sequence is is such a an kind of an odd mix of you're kind of settling in for some real B movie action fun, but at the same time, De Niro's Max Katie is has Nick Nolte chained uh, handcuffed up and is threatening to rape both his wife and daughter in front of him uh so it's it's here Here we are uh once again on this podcast navigating uh, a potential sexual assault right. scene uh and it's uh it's it's to put it lightly it's a lot uh and, a lot. and both the, actresses the, the have court amazing
1: reenaction reenactment is also a lot that's the point that that like took me out of this where i'm like He's he's pleading to the jury. You're the jury.
2: I'm sorry, Your Honor. I agree. That was argumentative. An investigator <laughs> didn't prepare prior sexual history on the alleged victim. True. I can't ask these questions, Your Honor. He is a hostile witness.
3: And would you care to tell the court what the gist was of this report? it was fourteen years ago. I can't remember that.
0: <laughs> well, at at this point, De Niro has been uh, sprayed with lighter fluid and lit in a cigar. Lit a cigar. Uh, this is all Juliet Lewis's plans. And do- dove into the water and come come back uh, with his forehead badly burned. And we're now almost in monster movie for sure territory. For sure. And it it almost feels like a double beat because I was like, hold it! Didn't you just already arrange the two actresses uh, for this for this in this horrible tableau? And in the in the previous uh, uh, moment, it was Juliette Lewis who who tries to, in, in, to right. do this like psychological seduction of De Niro, and then uh, it is uh, Jessica Lange's character Lee who tries her own angle to seduce uh uh de niro and save uh, and spare her daughter. and they well, both Nolti do great
1: is, will, their performances amazing. are amazing but i
0: agree uh de niro playing out kind of revisiting the the courtroom drama almost breaking the third wall as he looks up to the to the camera <laughs> oh, yeah, right. uh it feels a little much um uh we we are getting a a, a, a little campy uh and and the, the sexual violence of it doesn't make it particularly fun in any way so it it is kind of an odd amalgam but but a really rousing interesting uh sequence uh all the less yeah and then it it, or or i should say nonetheless
1: it it leads to this you know the destruction of the boat and then this battle in the in the water when when nolte is finally the animal version of himself lifting up a, a a rock to smash uh de niro's head in he's he's gotten the, the done the full transformation he has blood blood all over his he, hands
0: he has regressed <laughs>
1: um but i do love but,
0: but but even when nolte lifts the rock up uh to smash it on de niro's head a in this Neanderthal move there's a hesitation but then it doesn't even happen de niro is washed away yeah, yeah, yeah. By, the, by the by the tides and i love so he's, the eyes he's still just as ineffectual
1: i love the the, uh, the snake eyes from the water as he sinks yeah. uh that was i love that that sort of silent while, stare
0: while talking in uh in <gasps> tongues. i forgot about that
1: part that might have been my favorite uh element of his performance that yeah in tongues nonsense almost like daffy duck bugs bunny bubba it was it, it was <laughs> <laughs> incredible
2: I'm going to of
0: the Niro I'm it looks like he's, 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 uh, his, his ankle is handcuffed to the yeah. railing of the boat that's sunk, which I, I guess is to let you know that it's all over for him. Yeah. But at the same time, it seems like they're setting up one more, uh, De Niro's going to jump from the water moment because he's getting his, he's getting his, his bearings. Also, we and, stick and with the family. Scorsese for he yeah, and Scorsese has said he doesn't understand why people think De Niro is alive. He's definitely he's definitely dead. But I think there's something about that shot that makes you feel like we're going to see him rise up again. Why why do we why do we go underwater for that insert?
1: Well, I think all also you know, as he said in the monologue uh before about he's more than human that he's he's graduated into, you know, Michael Myers' land as as a character almost. He's this this uber uh, man and this, this primal force. I mean, that's the, in the end, that's what this is, this battle of wills. It's very Germanic and maximalist and, you know, all the stuff that Scorsese loves the German expressionist and all that stuff is playing out in this, this final moment. And, uh, so, you know, the idea that he's not dead, uh, I believe, I mean, essentially, you know, Juliette Lewis, says he still haunts them too um so
0: he still haunts them nick nolte the, the one of the final shots is of him washing his hands his bloody hands in the water why does he, he
1: just can't get them clean why does he have that like shock do you know what i'm talking about there's this like he's looking at his hands and then
0: it almost feels like a little jump scare yeah. where you're expecting De Niro to come out of the water i i I, I think I think it is set up a little bit where you're expecting him to come uh-huh. out of the water. I don't know why the 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 uh, quote of uh, uh, Scorsese I found talks about him not understanding why people think Deniro right. is still alive because it feels like he's doing two things in this shot of Nolte washing his hand. He's he's leaning into the a Marty moment of the of the uh, of the uh, sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can't be uh, uh, washed away you know, washed off, but also you're really expecting De Niro to jump up. You get kind of a final scare. It would seem like Sam Bowden, especially the arc he's been on, might be running over to see if his family is okay instead of getting his uh, fingernails clean (laughs) of the blood. But that is one of the exceptions we make for this uh, rich, over-the-top smorgasbord of a film. Yeah, that
1: was one of my favorite shots of the movie, actually, is Jessica Lange, like, rising out of the mud um, in this uh almost um it's like a, a pose from a michelangelo painting um it's it's beautiful and it's it's she's so striking obviously um it
0: was just awesome Quite a film.
2: I am like God and God like
0: me. I I am am as large large as God. God. He is as small as me. He cannot above me, nor I beneath him be. Salacious, 17th century, Cape Fear, 1991. Counselor, what is the verdict? Scanners or Bickle?
1: It It was so much to process that after the movie, I didn't know what my reaction to them so
0: much to process that your brain was
1: <laughs> today my brain is blown because i know that this is a rewatchable movie for me i'm gonna it lingers with me there's so much Deliciousness! You've talked about a juicy cheeseburger. This is the juiciest of cheeseburgers. So
3: I, I would, but
0: I, I would almost not even use the juicy cheeseburger because well, that's I feel your like juicy it's like cheese. a juicy. Che- it's well, I'm just saying for me, it's like a juicy cheeseburger. You order one uh, at like kind of an up more upscale restaurant, and then they give you blue cheese or something tangy, and you're like, "Whoa, sharp cheddar!" Okay, <laughs> Should we be rating things a, on a burger scale? <laughs> this is this is delicious, but it's going to give me a tummy ache later. There's a lot here uh i mean there's a lot i mean there's just a lot to make you uncomfortable a lot to yeah it 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 straddles that blockbuster art house thing a little bit and
1: and the reason and and the real hesitation is that what i was grappling with was all the things that i already knew because of pop culture with this movie and it having come out you know 30 years ago or whatever um and negotiating that in my brain with the experience that i had Um, you know, uh, and what I'm saying is that after the fact, I'm realizing this movie really resonates with me and I wouldn't be surprised if I want to see it again, which clearly that's, that's a, that's a wonderful and and great thing that is deserving of a, of a scanner.
0: I mean, do you know how many movies I watch now that I'm like, I want to see that again. Very few, very few, very few. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think you can fault this movie because it uh, infiltrated pop culture to the point that you, you know, knew De Niro was going to drop out of the bottom of the Jeep.
1: Now, here's where I uh, uh, upset your apple cart. I think De Niro's performance out of the four is the weakest and could be replaced for a better movie. Perhaps Woody Harrelson at the time. Michael Rooker. Tom Noonan, I think some of these guys would give a, a more uh terrifying performance than De Niro. I was I was reacting in this movie not necessarily to De Niro's performance because I feel like I, I, I it was De Niro over saturation, but I was I was reacting to the terrifying nature of the character. And I feel like Everybody else is amazing in this, and De Niro is not quite as as good as they are um, in in the role. Um, and I also think Duncan's rolling his eyes at the moment as as I go on. But no, no. I think this is worthy of a third remake, where we get a performance. That is more of a, of a uh, rather than Jack Nicholson as the Joker, which we all, you know, took as the Joker performance. But then we got Heath Ledger. I think there's room for a, uh, a new performance of Max Cady that is totally terrifying in a, uh, a, a contemporary version of, of this movie. And it would still work. This movie could still work and be different be different than the Scorsese movie, but not necessarily, uh, better, just scarier.
0: Okay. Okay. I, um, well, listen, this isn't one of my top five, uh, uh, Scorsese movies. And this isn't one of my top five, uh, De Niro performances by any, any stretch. Um, I, I agree with you for me juliet lewis is the is the real star of this movie but i have to say i don't know do i want to watch michael rooker i just feel like it would be a... I, I, th- this movie is over the top de niro's over the top there are certain elements of his uh accent that don't particularly work but i just feel like he's he's larger than life i'm enjoying every moment he's on screen I'm um, having fun, and for a second, I thought when you were talking about a, proposing a remake and you mentioned Michael Myers, I was like, David Gordon Green, don't get any ideas. No, uh, don't. I don't think we need we need Cape Fear re- remade in this current uh, atmosphere. <laughs> but I I respect your uh, opinion. All right, uh, I I don't. There's nothing. You know, my my feathers aren't particularly ruffled. So um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I didn't know how, I hadn't seen this movie since college. I enjoyed it. It's uh a lot of fun. It's super weird.
1: It's super weird. And that that's uh what really makes this fun is and why I think I can I, I am gonna go back to it is is it's just every scene has some delicious aspect. To it and I don't I don't want to I'm not knocking De Niro's performance I'm just imagining uh how it could be maybe if if somebody else was in the role and, and scared me even more but there's there's plenty to scare you in this
0: well like I said I would have enjoyed maybe at the time a Nick Nolte as Max Cady and who knows Dennis Dugan as uh as Sam Bowden uh, version of this movie. <laughs> nice, nice call back to
1: uh problem child there
0: Oh, okay. I actually oh I don't wanna give you any ideas for this podcast, but I've never seen Problem Child. Anyway, this was a lot of fun. So fun. Happy to be back from our, our hiatus for the second part of season one of a podcast that is uh taking America by story. Clearly. If you like the podcast, check us out on Instagram, didn't I blow your mind, leave a review wherever you get your pods, uh, throw some stars out there. What else am I forgetting for housekeeping? Spread the word. And now I'll i t- I'll try I'm gonna try out oh, here we our go. new here we go. uh, uh sign-off line. Lex doesn't even know this one. I'm just going to try it off and we're just going to see if it sticks. Clean up on aisle six because Lex got his brains blown. But we're in a movie theater. Clean clean up on aisle six of the movie theater. Something like that. (laughs)